Bezus Hashem Yisbarech. We will continue Simin Yud Aleph and Igeres HaKodesh, the 11th letter of the Holy Letters of the Balatanya, which is known as Laskil Chabin, to enlighten what understanding. The essence of enlightenment as we, as we are learning is the recognition, the beginning of wisdom is the recognition that the recognition and clarity in a person's mind where enlightenment unfolds in a person's mind we are getting to a, a point in the simon, in this letter, where the Balatanya explains midas eshtavas, something known as it's all the same to me, it's all the same to you. And ultimately speaking, if a person could comprehend this, If a person can comprehend this even for one moment, he has reached a space of enlightenment, which what the Balatanya says over here, Hain Vilab Shovid, that with respect to all material matters, with all mundane things, with respect to every desire that you have. Yes and no are all the same. If a person can see the insanity of life, the insanity of life meaning to say life the way it has evolved, the way a person has evolved, if he is allowed to run loose, if he runs loose, just like every other person on the planet. Then what would that look like? What does life look like? And why is that insane? Why is that, why is the way everybody does everything backwards? If a person can see that for one moment, then they are set free by their own perception. What that means practically is that the average person goes through life with tremendous amount of desires. And those desires are desires of becoming, which basically mean I want to be more than what I am now. I want to grow, I want to become more than what I am now. Meaning to say that what is right now is not good, and good will be coming to me in the future. Something better will be coming in the future. Life will start to happen in the future. And therefore, a person is riddled with tremendous amount of anxiety, tremendous amount of depression, tremendous amount of social failures 
And the person has these anxieties and depression and social failures and addictions and habits, which is the roots of all of a person's issues, all of a person's sufferings. Either he suffers from an addiction or from a depression or from an anxiety or from social dysfunction, peer pressure, fights. And these things are the root of all suffering. These four levels, anxiety, depression, social failures, and habits and addictions are the root of all failings. And ultimately the question is, why is man so engulfed? Why is a person's life so riddled with these struggles, so much suffering? If not for one, then it's two, or three, or four, or all of them. And the Alter Rebbe says over here, the root of the suffering is because man is premised with the program that yes and no are very different. If I get something or if I don't get something, there's a tremendous difference in a person's life. The Balatanya explains that really that is an insanity. Why does a person never ask the question, why does it matter if I get my desires or if I don't get my desires? Why does a person not meditate on this? Why does he not meditate on his reaction to things that don't go his way? Why does a person live his life as if he's only going to start to live tomorrow, as if he's only going to be able to be alive when he gets exactly what he wants. Why is a person in a state that life itself, the newness of life, the only thing that a person has, that a person will give up every single thing for what he has right now, why is that not important to him? And what does life look like when that does become important to him? Isn't it true that when a person is fully alive, with zero ounce of sleep, with zero sleep in his system, fully, fully awake, isn't it true that that is the greatest pleasure on earth? And in the face of that pleasure, there's no lack, a person's missing nothing. And the question is, could a person even discover this for one moment? Could a person discover that yes and no is equal? Meaning to say to be in a non-reactive state. If you get what you want or if you don't get what you want. Isn't it true that you're living a conditioned life? If everything is conditioned on what you get out of life, then you're living a conditioned life, you're living a trapped life. Your relationships are suffered. You're, you're, you're in a suffering, you're suffering from your relationships. Because if I love you so you could love me, 
that I love you only so you can love me. So I love myself. And if I love you so you can worship me and give me compliments, if I'm complimenting you so you can compliment me, it's wonderful until you don't compliment me. So isn't it true that the whole premise of our program, the whole program language that we have, is a backwards program without justifying, even if we would justify. To justify doesn't change the truth. A person could explain why he got the virus. Now is he not going to get cured from the virus? Is he not going to look for the Regeneron? Is he not going to look to get regenerated? Who cares who gave him the virus? Isn't it so important to see the insanity of how we live our life? The tremendous resistance we have to things that don't go our way. Why is there resistance at all to anything that doesn't go your way? Why do you have resistance? Why does a person have resistance? To suffer because you suffer is the beginning of all suffering. But to be in a state of non-reactivity, non-reactivity at all, to anything, is to be fully alive. Which is the essence of what he's going to say in this parak. If you are non-reactive to a criticism, if you are non-reactive to being told no, if you are non-reactive to humiliation, if you are non-reactive, you are really alive. And a day before you die, a minute before you die, you will be non-reactive because you will be fully alive. Isn't it true that when your spouse criticizes you, not only is that an opportunity for you to know them, but it's an opportunity for you to give them unconditional love. It's an opportunity for you to understand them. It's an opportunity for you to become one with them. It's the opportunity for you to use yourself to know them, to transcend yourself, to go beyond yourself. To, to, to go into a miraculous state, to go into an infinite state, to go into a state of tremendous adrenaline, a tremendous vitality, tremendous compassion. Isn't it true that when you're there for them, when they seemingly betray you, that means you are there for them unconditionally, infinitely. You were really there for them. Isn't it true that you showed your true colors, that you're not really married for what you could get, but you're married for what you could give. Isn't it true that when you're tested, when you're tested, that's what the infinity of your, of, of your soul comes out. When you're challenged, isn't it true that the tests, the struggles that a person has, the confrontations is what allows your energy to come out. What allows your adrenaline of your soul. You would never have no growth had you not had these tests. You would never grow without these problems.
So if you go very deep into this parak, very deep into this simon, and you don't look, just let the words pass you by. You don't just look at these words where he says that everything physical, yes and no, are all the same. Meaning to say that you are supposed to make a lot of money, you have a hopes and a desires of becoming. You look at yourself at a certain age and you say, I was supposed to be a multimillionaire at this age. And you say, my life is a failure. I have this and this addiction. My life is a failure. I have this and this fight that I have. And I'm right. And you see yourself as a tremendous victim. Or I have a tremendous anxiety. But isn't it true that all of these things stop a person from living? Why do you have to be a successful multimillionaire in order to live? Do you think that if you cannot in this state that you are right now, looking at 40 years, 30 years, 60 years, and saying that it's a complete failure, do you think that in that state, if you can't redeem yourself right now and see the beauty of this moment right now, do you think if you make a billion dollars, you would be able to be wholesome, happy, joyful? Do you think that if 40 years ago, we go back 40 years and we give you everything your heart desires right now, we give you a magic button to be able to get everything your heart desires, do you think that you wouldn't be in the same reactive state? Do you think money will be the answer to all your problems? If you can't find peace in this moment right now, if you can't find bliss, if you can't find joy, if you can't find God, if you can't find purpose in this moment right now, when will you ever find purpose? If you can't be wholesome in the know of life, if you can't even try one time in your life to be completely wholesome when you get, when you, when life gives you the opposite of what you want, how will you ever be free if you see your life as a disaster, whatever age you are now? Then essentially, if your life would be better, and it would have been better 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, you would just be living a life of a disaster waiting to happen. Because you're not truly free. It's only the conditions that are providing for you a temporary superficial peace. And that's why we gave the example of a husband and wife during their Sheva brachas, and they find that afterwards one of them is terminally ill. Does somebody need to become ill to know if the other spouse is for them? Would anybody have any suffix if the spouse would leave them after the, after the first week? Any healthy spouse that experienced the chuppah, the true chuppah, and they're not traumatic people, they're not people that are suffering, any healthy spouse would be there for them for the rest of their life and care for them unconditionally because what's revealed by the chuppah is my unconditional love to you. I choose you and I take you, and I give myself to you to love unconditionally. And you're doing for me a tremendous, a tremendous act of love by allowing me to love you. And it's the love alone which is unattached. 
And therefore, if you lose your beautiful looks, whether you're a man or a woman, tomorrow, because you get sick, I will be there for you unconditionally. Because that's what was revealed by the chuppah. Because I have one person that I could love, that I could be there for. And if you lose your beautiful looks, the next day, I'm going to marry you for your beautiful looks. I'm going to marry you because you're a beautiful man. I'm going to marry you because you're a beautiful woman. I married you so I could love you, so I could give myself to you, so I could give you, so I could go beyond myself. And that's why we're giving this example, because we must imagine this example. And to be set free from the no in our life, to be set free from the criticism, to be set free from the humiliation, to be set free from the disruption, from the, to be set free from the pain. To stop suffering from the fact that we suffer. To really be free from it. Don't we need to look at what social suffering looks like during the wedding? Is there any social, is there any negativity in the moment of the chuppah? Is anybody worried about that they're going to get criticized during the chuppah? Is anybody worried about what their spouse is going to do to them? Or they don't see the physicality of their spouse at all at that moment. Because their eyes are closed and they're covered up. Because the pledge and the wedge of unity of love is something way beyond the temporary structures, the, 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 the physical form. So isn't it true if in your own marriage you can discover for one moment what it means to give to your spouse unconditionally? Isn't that the only true love that there is? Isn't the moments that you're there for your spouse unconditionally? Doesn't that prove later on that when there's conditional love? Meaning to say when you're getting back love, when you're getting back compliments, when there is peace, isn't that true to show that the undertone, the underlying undertone of that relationship is unconditional? It's wonderful when it's conditional. It's wonderful when there's beauty. It's wonderful when the inside and the outside are on the same page. That's the purpose of life, ultimately speaking. That you should live in your chuppah and your every single day. Every day to make the monotonous holy, to make the simple, boring holy, to see the beauty in life every day, to be able to remind yourself of your chuppah as much as possible, to be able to see the blueprint of your life all the time, to live in that building, to live in that home where your spouse is the only thing you have and you never met your spouse before in your life and you're about to see them. And every single moment is as fresh and vibrant and youthful as possible. But in the moments that you're challenged, isn't it true that a much deeper infinity, a much deeper love comes out? And isn't it true that if you tap into that for one moment, then the conditioned love later on is also unconditional. And it's much more vibrant, much more alive, much more powerful, much more real. So if a person is experiencing suffering in any area in their life and they could let go of that suffering to the point that yes and no become equal, 
then they have reached the beginning of infinite love. Then they have reached the beginning of being there for another person unconditionally. They have reached the beginning of being fully alive with no hopes to start to live in the future. Because the beginning of all suffering is the thinking that tomorrow I'm going to start to live. There's no life tomorrow because there's no such a thing as tomorrow. Because tomorrow will never come. Because tomorrow is a figment of the ego. It's a figment of the imagination. The only time you're ever alive is this moment. Your whole life unfolds in this moment. This single moment is the whole entire life that you have. And it's at this moment that the only thing there is is joy and bliss because God is creating you something right here from nothing. And if you can't have joy of living while you're brushing your teeth, while you're in the car, if you're still waiting to get somewhere, your whole life will be waiting to get somewhere. And you'll have temporary arrivals and glimpses of pleasures of joys. And then you will go back to being in a state of unconsciousness till you can have another moment, another high. And all the while, all the while squandering the present moment, squandering what you have. So it's discovering God in the moments of pain. In the moments where you don't get what you want. Which allows you to be fully alive all the time. To recognize that there's no place devoid of it. And God is speaking to you through every action that's going on in this world. Every action. Life is happening for you. Everything you hear, every person you meet, nothing is superficial. Everything is for you to discover God. Everything is for you to discover your relationship with Hashem. Everything is for you to reveal, to be fully alive in this moment. It's not a means to an end. Nothing is a means to an end. You are witnessing the end and the means all the time. And the same thing is with your relationship. If you're waiting for something better, for one moment of time of fulfillment, that's a complete confusion. And this is what the Balatani is about to explain, that a husband and wife during their chuppah, they experience ecstasy, which means to go beyond yourself. The word ecstasy, the word root word, means to go beyond yourself. And we've discussed that there's no such a thing as recording. Most people don't remember the chuppah. Because the ecstasy, they go beyond themselves. And if you do remember your chuppah, it's because there is tiny fragments of yourself there. Because you go beyond yourself through yourself. You have to have a self to go beyond yourself. So at the moment of the chuppah, there's a, du- a dual discovery. The chassan and kala will both get dressed. And they will both represent their self. And with their self, they will go beyond their self. With their own ego, with their own whole thing, what they bring to the table, they will go beyond their selves. And they will have intermediaries, they will have escorts, they will have shujvinin, who will take them and bring them to the other one. And represent the beauty, each one will have to see the beauty in the other. And this mirrors what happened during Matan Torah. And which we said that each spouse is choosing the other spouse. So when you focus on the fact that you were chosen, it's a paradox. On the one hand, I'm chosen. And if I just focus on the fact that I was chosen, then I focus on myself. And if I focus on the fact that I was chosen, whether I'm the man or wife, in my Sheva Brachas or after my Sheva Brachas, I could get hurt. Because myself is also there, myself could get hurt. 
If I forget that myself is to know you, I'm here to put away myself, to you, with myself to know you, to put myself into your shoes. Myself, to lose my sense of self. Not to lose it because I lose something, but through with myself to really know you, to become one with you. To see you like, to know, my, to know you like I know myself. Which means a suspension of self. But the Jewish people, when they saw the whole entire revelation by Martin Torah, they also saw the self, the animal, the ego. And when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't come back down, the Erev Rav, the trauma, the, the, the history of how it was in Mitzrayim, the ego, the whole entire sense of self became magnified. And they went to Aaron, who Aaron was the one who said, I'm the one who's bringing you, I, I represent the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu represented God, I represent your beauty. And they went to Aaron, they said, let's make an idol, let's make an ego, a logo, let's make something out of this, out of, my, out of the self, out of the materiality, out of what we bring to the table. And that is the beginning of all suffering in all relationships. When you make a massive amplification of your own ego, of your own self, you get wounded, it's your traumas from the past. Your spouse says one word to you and you blow it out of proportion. When you never do the same thing when you get a compliment. Because it's much easier for your trauma to come out and your spouse's trauma, for yourself, for your ego to come out. But when you understand the truth, my whole ego is to know you. My ego is to give you, to understand you. I'm here to, to become one with you unconditionally. And that's the most beautiful gift of all. And it's the same exact thing with, re, with the relationship with God. It's all a metaphor. The whole reason I have materiality, the whole reason I have money, the whole reason I have everything is to give it to charity, to be able to know God, to be able to, with myself to understand God. Because if I would just be a chelik, if I would just be a part of God, there would be no purpose in this world. But the purpose in the world is not to see God anywhere. And then less as to recognize that everywhere God is. Enoch Bavadi is in every space. To undo all the structures, to undo all the containers, to show that all the containers are ultimately all the bodies to hold the soul of God. They're all there to discover God. And when a person realizes that, that's the beginning of Yishkunot Hashem. That's a godly marriage. It's a non-reactive marriage. He's a different relationship with God. Every moment he's alive. Every moment is the purpose of his life. He's not trying to get to some purpose, some type of moment in the future. And this is what he's beginning to say, Hein v'lav shavin, the idea of... of, of, of of the Eid of Rav, to be set free from my, my, my ego, to be able to discover my spouse for my spouse, to be able to, be able to love a love that's un unattached, which is the beginning of Yishkin HaRashem.